over here last Sunday evening. Um, it's actually our brother Aver here speaking to a couple of old friends that we both know from years back. And just happened to be talking, I interrupted their conversation to say hello. And he said that he said, you know, sometimes many of God's people don't understand God's grace. They don't understand what God's grace is. So this morning, we're going to look at God's amazing grace. If you have your pen ready, you're going to need it. If not, you can watch it later if you want to take notes. Romans chapter 5, please. I've spoken on grace many times. Some of these things you'll have heard before. Some who are new will not have heard them, but I'm going to dissect. It's going to be more of a study if I can put it that way, just how the Spirit leads me this morning. Romans chapter 5, we're going to begin reading at verse 18. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so that by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this table that we have been around this morning. We thank you, Father, for the giving of your Son. Lord, for the giving of your life, the shedding of your precious blood. We thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. Lord, we have nothing to boast in but your grace and mercy. We have nothing, Lord, to bring to the table but our own selves, Lord. Lord, we come, Lord, before you as the saints of God, those of us who are saved, those of us who have been washed in the blood, we come before you, Lord, this morning to sing and praise and to be reminded and to remind ourselves that, Lord, as we worship you, you're still on the throne, the King of glory. And, Lord, that you're here in our midst by thy Spirit. So we pray, O oh God, that you would move upon us and bless those who are away still. And, Lord, we thank you to see those who have been away back safely among us. Encourage us, we pray. And, Lord, there are those who are unwell and cannot be here. Would you bless them? Would you heal them? Even in your presence, Lord, there are those who need a touch from you. Lord, would you touch them? Lord, everything is by your grace because you're good. Thank you, Lord. Because, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, we just wait on your spirit, Lord, to move upon every heart, Lord. God, that the anointing of the spirit would just rest upon every mind and heart, that every man and woman would be ready to receive that, Lord. Maybe people who are weak and weary. Maybe some who are struggling and down. Maybe some who have fallen badly. But, oh God, maybe are those who think they need you not. Oh God, may thy spirit just move. May the Holy Ghost mantle this house. May the anointing come upon every person, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would move from seat to seat and from heart to heart. And, oh God, you speak individually and severally to every one of us. Lord, we need you. We want you. We desire you. I need you. Help this man of clay lips. Help me, Lord, to lift up the Son of God, even as Glenn has read, that he might have the preeminence in all things. To the glory of thy name we pray. Amen. God's amazing grace. If someone asked you this morning or tomorrow or whenever, Christian especially, what is grace? 
How would you explain it? How would you express it to them? What is grace? Well, it's so abundant, I can't either. But I'm going to tell you what scripturally it means, and I'm going to apply it to my life, and you can apply it to yours. In fact, the Spirit of God will apply it to all our lives. May he make it real to us again this morning and fresh to us. I'm very aware that many of us who do, and all of us do, by the way, feel the Lord in some manner, shape, or form. Listen, every day, every day. I'm very aware that some find it difficult to recover and to go on with God because, well, we've went this far. We've went too low. It's been so deep that they feel it. Well, they have missed the boat, as it were, that it's all done and dusted, that God would not have them in his presence at this time. Now, listen, Christ died for you, that you could come to his presence. Christ died for you to wash you of all your sin. What must I do? Well, then, if you're a child of God, come and repent. Bring it before your Father. Claim the merit the efficacy, the power, and the cleansing of the blood that Christ shed. Forget about it and move on. Get up and go on, brother. Get up and go on, sister. Notice here, we're going to look at this, for not only does he save us by his grace, we're kept in grace too. Every day we're kept by him. So what is grace? The little acronym uh, the people give, the little acronym is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And look, and that's true and that's good, but that's a little acronym just to try and express it. We want to go deeper than that. We want to be further into it than that. We want to realize it and lay hold on it. We want it to lay hold on us. Do you realize that you cannot lay hold on sovereign grace until sovereign grace lays hold on you? Sovereign grace must lay hold on you before you can lay hold on sovereign grace in your life. Notice here, some would say it's unmerited favor, and it is. It's unlimited favor, and it is. It's all of these things. It's something we receive which we do not deserve, and it is. That's grace, but we're going further. We want to look at it further and scripturally, so bear with me. All of these sound good and correct, but what is grace? How would we define it or explain it to those who have now no idea of it nor understanding about it? Someone comes to you, what is grace? I remember when I was growing up in Belfast, there used to be a tech man came around. Who remembers the tech man? Maybe that was just Belfast. Oh, there's one, there's a few here, yes. Everyone's too polite now to say, yes, I remember the tech man. He didn't come to my door, but, you know, well, he came to ours. We hadn't got a lot. My mom and dad were good parents, but, and they were hardworking, but we hadn't a lot. He used to come around with a book, and I never knew what was going on. I seen him coming around with a book, and maybe my mom went at the front door talking to him, and you knew who it was, the wee tech man, because he ticked you off that you'd paid or you hadn't paid. And sometimes if people hadn't got the exact amount of their payment there and then, he may have said if he was nice enough, well, sure, look, I'll see you next week. Give you a bit of space. And that little bit of space was grace. I'll give you a bit of time of grace to make it up. Well, you know, that sounds good if you were to give that as an analogy. But listen, we don't pay anything. Jesus paid it all for us. Grace is free. Grace is something which has a property in it which is free to whom it reaches. For example, you know, some say the words uh, amazing grace uh, uh, and our, we sang it there, our minds automatically goes to the John Newton song, Faith's Review and Expectation. That's actually what you call that song. It's not actually amazing grace. It's faith's review and expectation. But with the 
Opening line, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And with the opening line of it, you see, grace even trumped its own title that was given on that very song, that very hymn. Isn't that amazing? Just like God's grace. You know, John Newton was a, he was a slave trader. And in a, he was in a ship coming from the United States and off the Donegal coast. Off the Donegal coast in northwest Ireland there, a storm came and they thought the ship was going down and John Newton was petrified and he called out for mercy. Called out to God. This is it in a nutshell. And they found a safe harbor at Loch Swilly. And then they went from there. And this is why he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. Imagine this man, this slave trader, and God saved him. You know, I sort of think sometimes we can look at someone else and say, how can they be saved? Look at them. Look at him. Look at her. How can God save them and keep them and use them? Surely it can't be. Brothers and sisters, I have enough in my own mind wondering how he saved me and kept me. I have enough in my own mind and heart wondering what he ever seen in me. He actually seen nothing in me, but he just chose to love me. <laughs> and to you too. Grace, free, unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Still, what is grace? Uh, an old Puritan called Ralph Venning. And he wrote a line and it jumped out at me. Why to me, Lord, why do you? People here come from a, a Catholic back, Roman Catholic background. Why you? After all the ritual of Romanism. People come here from a Protestant background. Why you? After the superstition of many Protestants. Why you and why me? Ralph Fanning wrote, there is no reason for grace, but grace. There is no reason for grace, but grace, because God chose to. God chose, and you are, if you're saved, you're his elect. He knew you from before the foundation of the world. He sent his son in time to save you. And you add nothing to it, but receive it by faith. Notice here, it's true that our Father showed us grace. And it's true that he bestowed it upon us because he chose to. And listen to Puritan Thomas Brooks, what he says about grace taking us to glory and where it starts. Listen to this. Grace and glory differ very little. The one is the seed, the other is the flower. Grace is glory militant, and glory is grace triumphant. In other words, God decides, God chose, and God came in the person of his Son because he wanted to for you. And the grace that came is the seed. Do you know what God's glory is in the opening of the Red Sea? Yes, it was seen there. God's glory is seen in the, in the opening of the, of the River Jordan. Yes, it was seen there. The falling of the walls of Jericho. Yes, it was seen there. Uh, the, the, the man on the ground and the quail coming and the water out of the rock. Yes, it was seen there. Do you know where the greatest manifestation of God's glory is seen? In his grace in the life of a sinner. The greatest glory of God is when he brings the dead to life. Who don't deserve it. And in fact who are against him and enemies with him. Life of sin and shame and debauchery. Depraved in our nature. And yet he decides to come because he wants to save us. Now that is his grace being militant in our lives. 
And he plants that seed, as it were, and that grace stays with us until the coming of Christ, the changing of the body. And guess what? That is grace triumphant. You and I are going to live a triumphant life in its fullness when Christ returns, all because of his grace. Notice, brothers and sisters, the average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. The average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. I know some that maybe travel out. <laughs> the average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. That's about 112,000 words per week. And that averages about 6 million words per year. Think about this. All the words we could speak. But there seems to be no word that's more beautiful and stronger and yet precious to the believer's heart than the little word of grace. See, when you realize that, that what God has done for us, when you realize of the, the blood that Christ shed for us, and when you realize that he came to us undeserving, broad road people, in other words, we're on the way to destruction and to judgment, condemnation, and hell. And yet, even though God would have been justified to step back and let us all go down that road and into a lake of fire, yet he came and he rescued us. What a Savior. What a Savior, brothers and sisters. Would you say amen? amen. What a Christ. What a Christ. Please understand this before we go any further. Grace is not a license to sin. I want to say it again. Grace is not a license to sin. Many think, well, I'm under grace and God will forgive me. Well, you know what? And the thing is, he will. But it's not a license to do it. It is not a license to sin. Grace is not just leniency when we do sin. Where God is lenient with us because he loves us. Listen, brother, sister, if you really love someone, would you hurt them in purpose? But if they hurt you, if they hurt you, that person you love so much, if they hurt you, how would you feel with it? How would you feel? Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is pardon. P-A-R-D-O-N. Grace is pardon for you to get up and keep going when you do. So grace is pardon for you to keep going. And grace is power. P-O-W-E-R for you to overcome it, that you learn and don't go back to it. We live before Christ. So when our reading Romans 5 and verse 18, that's my introduction to this this morning. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Look what it says. Therefore, as by the offense of one, it's Adam, Father Adam, because Adam sinned, it came to you and I. Because Adam's sin brought forth death, it came to you and I. We have a lot to say to Adam when we see him, don't we? I think it will be a queue at Adam's door. Therefore, by the offense of one, notice, judgment came. Adam brought judgment on us. There's who we are. There's what we were. Notice, judgment came upon all. Notice to condemnation. So every man and woman is under condemnation now. Listen, a preacher doesn't need to preach word of condemnation. They're already under condemnation. We need to preach words of hope and help and grace and life. We need to show them sin, but we need to preach that there's a way for you to be saved and forgiven. 
The Lord Jesus Christ says, keep your finger in Romans 5 there, please, or mark it, if you will. And turn with me to John's Gospel, please, chapter 3. Chapter 3. Listen to what it says. We all know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, that is the Son, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now note this, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. So Christ didn't come to condemn you. Christ didn't come to condemn the world. He, he came to save men and women, not condemn them. But take note of this. Christ came not into the world for the Son, came not into the world to condemn the world. Notice, but that the world through him might be saved. Now notice verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is what? Condemned already. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world's already condemned because they have the genes of Father Adam. Adam's race has Adam's germs and Adam's genes and are under condemnation ready for judgment. That was me. And that was you. But Christ didn't come to say, seek him. I've come to let you know you're going to hell. I've come to let you know you're under judgment. You're going to be lost forever. I've come to point the finger at you. I've come to say this to you and that to you to make you feel worse and bad. Christ didn't come to do that. Christ came to say, son, you're already under condemnation. I have come to save you. To wash you in my blood. To die for you. So Christ came to save a wretch like me. Now that's grace. That is grace. Will you go to Romans 5 again, please? Verse 18. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Notice, even so by the righteousness of one. That's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone was righteous. I'm not a righteous man. I'm righteous in, in Christ. But I'm not a righteous man. I try and live my life right. But I'm far from perfect. That's why I need his grace. That's why you need his grace every day. Speaking to someone that I know we all do in a sense to a degree. We all fall every day. But I'm speaking to someone here this morning and you've, you've got yourself into that place where you think, I never, I'll never recover from this. Listen, that's a lie from the devil. That's a lie in your mind. All you need to do is bring it back to the cross. All you need to do is realize that the Lord loves you, that he died for you. What you need to realize is his grace still extends to you. And he'll lift you up. You know what he says? My grace is that you have the power to go on. My grace is that you have even the privilege to keep going on to glory. So by the righteousness of one, the free gift came. Hallelujah. Salvation is free. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. And notice this. By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And justification means just as if you've never sinned. <laughs> you failed him. Come back to him. Bring it to him. Lift it up to him. Mention the blood to him. And listen, you know, let's say to you, right, son, you're forgiven. Right, daughter, you're forgiven. Get up and go on. You're just as if you've never sinned. Can we see the preeminence of Christ in this? Can you see the preeminence of Christ and all that the Father has done? The preeminence of the Son of God in this, even as Glenn had read around the table, that he's central. Not only is, is Christ central, 
at all that he has done. Everything pivots around this. Listen, your destiny changes from hell to heaven, from godlessness to glory. Everything pivots around what Christ has accomplished and what Christ has done and the blood that he shed. Everything. He's not stuck on a crucifix or a cross. He's not even lying in some Palestinian tomb. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended in the glory. And he's the man in the glory. He's praying for us. He's our great high priest. Oh, you're undeserving. I know. I know you're undeserving. I don't deserve him to do all this for me. I know. You don't deserve it. And neither do I. But in his grace and mercy, he came anyway. The father says, I'll send my son. The only one who could save your soul and forgive you of your sins by paying your debt and keeping the law of God that you couldn't keep was his son. And he says, Father, I'll go and die for them. I'll die for them. Now that's grace. For us by, verse 19, for us by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That one man's the same as verse 18, and that is Adam. And that is Adam. Many were made sinners. The idea is that we're all sinners in Adam. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, I've taught you this before, but there are people here who have come afterwards and come into the church and maybe haven't heard this. Well, and even if you have heard it before, sure, isn't it always good to rehearse things? See the word here, for as by one man's disobedience. Would you say disobedience? The word here, disobedience, the word here, there's actually about, if my memory serves me right, there's nine words in the Greek New Testament for sin. Nine different words for sin. So for by one man's disobedience. The, the word disobedience here is the word para okay. Para okay. And it's in two words. I'm going to move that in case you are looking at the back of that. So para means to come alongside of. In other words, we have the parables. Parables. We have the story of the parables and we make a, compar- a spiritual comparison with what the Lord was telling us in the parables. The Holy Spirit is Paul called the paraclete, the one called alongside in order to help. So here the word para means alongside of. And there's a second word, okeo. Okeo, and it means to listen, to hear, to listen or to hear. And when the two words are put together, para okay. It means, it actually gives a negative here of disobedience. The idea is para, alongside, okay, to listen. And it means failing to listen or hearing a miss. Failing to listen or hearing a miss. Adam is in the garden in the cool of the day. The voice of the Lord comes to speak with him. Adam, of all of the trees in the... In the garden thou mayest freely eat thereof, but in the day that thou eatest thereof. But the tree in the midst of the garden of knowledge of good and evil, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt eat, for thou shalt surely die. And so we know the story. He ends up eating off the tree. He heard a miss. He failed to listen when God had spoken. That's what that means. For by one man, Adam, failed to listen to the word of God. Adam failed to carry out the word of God, to believe the word of God enough to direct his life. That's what's wrong with many Christians. God speaks, whether it's through the preacher or their personal reading, their Bible study. And God speaks to them and they, oh yes, that's it. I'm going to put it into action, Lord. And then they walk away and they forget all about it and they wonder why things haven't changed. Failing to listen when God had spoken. Adam was hearing amiss and he failed to listen when God had spoken. So by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience, would you say obedience? And it's the word hupo, okay. 
hupo okay. And when you get the word hupo, it means, gives the idea to prop up, to hold up. It gives the idea of to come underneath and to lift up. So by one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by his obedience, hupo means to lift up, okeo means to hear, the exact same, who by Christ heard the words of his Father. He says, I do that which I see my Father do. But he also carried out the word of the Father. He kept the law of God. We feel that all the time, that we feel that every day. And he heard the word of the Father, and he held it up. That's what it means. Adam failed to listen when God was speaking and sinned, and we all became sinners. Christ came, the Son of God and the Son of Man, and he listened to his Father's command, and he says, Father, I will do thy will. Uh, and, uh, and he carries it out to his fullness, and he lifts it up. You know why he lifts it up? That the weight... that the weight of the word, the curse of the law, doesn't fall upon us. Notice here, in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that sin might abound. Notice, moreover, the law entered that this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, pardon me. Moreover, the law entered. I want you to see this because if you can grasp hold of this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense. God was offended at Adam. The law entered. And that which was in us repels it against God's law. Naturally, we don't want to do things of God. And the law says to you, you're a sinner. The law says to you, you've broken the commandments. The law says to you, you've done this and that and the other. It enters in and the offense of that is before God. And we are, there's a, a, a gulf between us and the Father. There's a rift between us, a separation between us. Because the law says, here you are, came to Israel and it says, Israel, here is the law, can you keep it? Lord, we'll do all that you tell us to do. And they didn't. The law comes even today to many and says, here's the law. And the offense of us before God and the offense of God to us, we, we then run away from God. We're not saved, we run away from God. And it abounds. The offense abounds. We, we're offending God. We're not saved. We're offending God. And listen, God's offending us. You try talking to someone who's deep down in their sin and who loves their lifestyle. You go and tell them that, Lord, you're a sinner and God says you're offending him. To see what they say. Well, God, I don't believe in God or God's offending me. Why would a God who's loving do this or that or the other or let that happen? And brothers and sisters, it's the offense between us. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. See the word abound there? It's a word, planazo. You know what it means? It might increase. The offense might increase. You see that Take the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Shalt make any graven image and all of this. You're not to worship another God. Yet in our hearts and in our minds, our gods might be our sport. Our gods might be our families. Our gods might be our work. Our gods might be our money. Our gods might be our, our, our joyful things. Our gods might be something else that takes the place of Christ. And already we've broken the law. Thou shalt not kill. Well, I haven't killed anybody, but listen to what the Lord says. If you've looked at your brother or your sister with hatred in your heart, you've murdered them in your heart, and it's as good as murder before God. And, 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 and do you know what Jesus is saying? He's also said that if you look at someone with lust, you're already an adulterer. 
And what he's saying is, you think it's bad when you read this, the offense of it? You think the offense when it enters into you, you go, oh, I'm a sinner. We repel from it. We run from it. We don't want to believe it because we don't want the responsibility of it. But one day we will all stand before God on it. And that offense is there. And it abounds, it increases, it means. And why Jesus said about, uh, if you look with your brother with hatred in your heart, you're already a murderer, or a, or, or a woman or a man with flush, you're already an adulterer. He doesn't see any difference here, because this is why he says it. He says, you're worse than you think you even are. That's why he said, he's, he's, he's magnifying the law. And he's saying, you want to keep it? All right, you might not have took a gun or took a knife or, or you might not have took a club or a brick and smashed someone's head in and murdered them that way. But you've murdered them in your heart. He says, you're worse than you think you are. And it shows us how lost and undone we are without Christ. We didn't even know it. Didn't even realize it. How many people say, oh, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Listen. I'm a good person. Not the word of God says. There's none good. No, not one. I'm trying to give you the picture here of uh, the idea that who we are before we're saved, before God, what every sinner is like. And even in our old rotten flesh, the, the spirit in us as Christians wars against each other with the flesh and the spirit. And here, the, the, the law enters that sin might abound, or in other words, the offense of it, it, it increases in our life. It increases, the law enters in, and it, you're even worse than you think you are. And you think you're going to come and be saved by religion, by trusting in a denomination, you're going to be saved by works or alms or charity or giving. Whatever method or means or because you think you're good. But in God's economy, every one of us are deep, died, depraved, lustful sinners. Lost. Absolutely lost. This man's no different. Every one of us. And we have no hope of being saved. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can add. Nothing we can give. Nothing we can offer. We're all lost. But the Father in His grace came down in mercy in the person of Christ. And He says, I'm going to keep the law you can't keep because it's abounding and increasing in the earth. And if you trust in me when I die for you, you'll be seen as I'm seen, righteous in my son. Well, it's like you hear the pin drop. You know why? Because God just tells us. God shows us. Brother, sister, are you glad you're saved? Are you glad you're saved? If you're glad you're saved, would you shout amen? Amen. amen. Glad to be saved. Praying. Seen Willie and Heather driving up the road. I think it was on Friday night, was it? Friday night. I took my prayer partner out with me and me and Harley goes out up the road. That's my cover. In case people think I'm nuts talking to myself walking up the road. They think I'm talking to the dog. Went out for a few miles walking. He's talking things over with the Lord. And he says, Lord, see anything. Anything that offends you and me. Anything that's from me, within me, that's an offense to you, Lord, it's grievous to you. Oh, God, will you show me it that I may read it out of my life. I prayed about it and I thought about it. And I was rebuked. You know why? Because the thought came, how dare you bring your sin up when I have cleansed you and forgiven it? How dare you? have to round this up for time is gone notice here we'll finish in Romans 8 God willing here many shall be made righteous moreover the law entered in that the offense might abound notice but where sin abounded it's the same word where sin increased so we sin we increase and the law is abounding toward us 
and we repel and we rebel from it and, and we don't want it and maybe we hear the gospel and we are running out and we're getting away from it and it just keeps abounding over and it's increasing in our lives and the sin gets bigger because the offense is bigger and the offense is bigger and the sin gets bigger and it's a vicious circle and notice, but where sin abounded, grace. Notice, there's the sin abounding in our life and it's getting bigger. The offense is getting stronger. And then that little beautiful word, one, what I say, six million words someone could obviously speak in a year. Listen, one word, grace. We just say grace. grace. We just shout it out. Grace. Amen. Grace. It says here, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what that tells me? The grace did. It's done. <laughs> it's past event. Do you know why it's a past event? Because Christ died on the cross for us. He paid our debt in its fullness, in the totality of it, where grace had abounded. And by the way, where it says there in verse 20, the word abound, look, moreover the law entered in that the offense might abound. Plan, uh, adzo, where it might increase, and then where sin uh, abounded, it's the same word, might increase. Where grace abounded is a different word. <laughs> Paul uses it as a, as a super abounding word. Um, I've written in the flyleaf of my Bible, let me try and pronounce it. Hooper persisio. I think that's how it's pronounced. Our pastor used to say it's like a big word like marmalade. It's super persisio. I think that's how it is. And listen, it means this. See where the offense comes. There's the law. You're, and it tells us you're a sinner and one's going off the other. And it's increasing and it's increasing. Ken, you're a sinner. You're a sinner all for years and years. And, and I tried drink and I tried drugs and I tried the word and I tried all the things of the word. And I tried running away and was doing this, that, and the other. And in my deadness toward God, and I heard gospel preachers and used to shout and bawl at them and used to pass at church. And you say, listen to all them headbangers in there singing away. They praise unto their God and all. And God pursued me and chased me down by his grace. And he pursued you too. And he chased you down. You know what it's called? He lays hold on you. It's called irresistible grace. Irresistible. He keeps plying you. He keeps working in you. He keeps speaking to you. He keeps dealing with you. And he just keeps drawing you. And you keep fighting him and wrestling him and working with him. You're like old Jacob with the angel of the Lord. You fight with him all night sometimes. But he doesn't let go and he doesn't give up and praise the Lord. Irresistible to God. We eventually drop the hands and we say, Lord, save me a wretched sinner. Save by grace. That law offends. And it comes in and the law offends. And when we see the, the offense of that law, ah, you see them all now, God, haters, anti-Christ, spirit everywhere. And all oh, they hate it. But see when God lays hold on one of them. <laughs> I'll tell you, if God is laying hold of them on to draw them to salvation, they can fight all they want, they can ball all they want, they can sin all they want. But if he's laid hold of them, he'll draw them with irresistible grace until they surrender to him. <laughs> I'm starting to get excited. Do you know why I'm getting excited? A me memory came up on my Facebook page last night, and I shared it late last night. I didn't get much sleep last night. I was, uh, I was disturbed a few, about a few things, and it was in my head, and I was praying about it and thinking about it, and just going to lay down. And the Lord was speaking to me about a couple of things during the night. And that's all right. If he's doing that, I don't mind missing the night's sleep. I don't mind that. He's working on me with a few things. So I was sleeping, trying to sleep last night, and I looked in there. Was a we few we montage about four photos I found. Uh, well, I posted them four years ago, and they, you know, they bring this memory up, and there it was, and there was Alison and I. The first one is is uh, Alison gazing into my eyes. 
She's not here. She's down with the kids who should be shouting up at me. I think we're just engaged. It was about 97, I think. 1997. The next one is I'm outside my dad's house. We're just married, sitting in a car. 1998. The reason I knew that was I I, I blew it up and there was, the tax disc was April 98 on it. So it was running out then, so it was maybe before that then, it was maybe before 98. And there she was again, all smiles, because she had me. Her <laughs> mommy's not here, and her dad's down there. He'll tell her when you get out. If you see the first photo, you'd wonder what's the scene of me, and that's the truth. Because I was still recovering at that point. Still recovering. Even though I was saved quite a while then, I was still recovering from the ravages of drink and drugs. I was saved, but I was still recovering. I was a lost, hell-bound, godless, Christless, deep-dyed, depraved sinner on the broad road to destruction, going to a lost eternity without God, without Christ, without hope in the world. To burn in a lake of fire for as long as God is in heaven, I would have burned in a lake of fire, very hell. And I looked at that man and I thought, Wow, how good is our God to save a wretch like me? To save one like you unmerited favor he came and he rescued us let me just finish this that's me notice verse 21 that as sin hath reigned unto death see the word reign by the way it's the word basilio gives the idea of a bastille a castle a stronghold a monarch who sits in it death is like a monarch who sits that sits on a, in a castle, a high tower over humanity. <laughs> None of us have any hope of missing it. For 100 of us out of 100 of us will all be there someday. Make no doubt, lest Christ comes back again. It reigns over us. And after that, there's appointed on the men once to die. This ruling monarch over us. The death of every human. The death of mankind reigns over us. And one day, I might be burying you or someone might be burying me. And there it sits like a monarch waiting on us, ruling on us. Notice, sin hath reigned unto death. You're a sinner. And it's like the sin is personified sitting in his high tower and castle. And one day we will enter the porthole through the veil of the valley of shadow of death. And there he sits in every one of our mortal members. Every one of us will all be there. We will face it, should Christ tarry. But notice that sin hath reigned unto death. Even so might grace reign. Notice, even so, might grace reign. In other words, when Christ came and he died, he rose again the third day. And it doesn't matter if I go to the ground or not. I'm going to be his forever. He reigns over me. Grace reigns in my life. Grace is the monarch over my life. In other words, I might die and enter into eternity, but I'll tell you, I might die and enter into eternity. I'm not going to the lake of fire. I'll die, enter into eternity. I'll be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's where we'll be, Christian. Now, that's grace. It's amazing grace. It's God's amazing grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, listen. It's time we started to get excited again about the things of God. I feel like it's 
spinning in my head and spitting out nickels. That's how I feel. I feel like jumping over that pulpit there. And walking and leaping and praising God like the man at the beautiful gate. Saved by the grace of God. I want to run down Hunter's Hill Road. I want to be shouting from the rooftops. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. All by the grace of God. I have to watch myself. The neighbor shouts at me when I get excited. <laughs> Saved this morning. Washed in the blood this morning. Oh, brothers and sisters, I have lived in this for a few days. I wrote it on Thursday. I wrote it on Thursday. I talked to Warren a wee bit about things on Friday. I lived in it yesterday. Couldn't settle off, was pacing the floors and thinking about it. And I sat down and had a cup of tea and I went, forget the tea. I went back into my study and think, oh Lord, I want to just let this avalanche come out. I want this river of living water to flow. I want to see, I want to see your glory, Lord, not only in my life, but in the lives of men and women. I want them to be shouting, save by grace alone. This is all my plea. Someone a few weeks ago put a thing up online and said, oh, there's this man, Ken. Oh, he didn't mention my name, and knew it was me. And he says that I believe that you can be saved by your works. Have you ever heard me say anything like that? Because you can't. Because you can't. May God bless his word to our hearts. How do you explain that when someone says, what is grace? See the word grace there? Well, God willing, I think I'll do another week. See you next week. Here's another thing. See the word grace there in this instance. The word grace here is the word charis. Charis. And you know, I'll look at it maybe next week as well. See the Pentecostals like ourselves. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And, and we also believe in you know, word of prophecy and a word of knowledge and, and so forth. See when you read about those called the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. You know what it is? It's the charis or the charisma of the Spirit. It's where you get the word charismatic from. And so, in other words, when you get the gifts in the life, when you get the spiritual gifts in the heart and in the life, it's God's grace you get them by. It's God's grace. God bless you. Tell me to come up, please.